0: Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms and to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service.
1: Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well this morning and had a great Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year because there are no gifts involved. It's all about people and food. I ate enough to put myself into a small coma. I almost died and I'm gonna do it again next year without regrets. Uh, Actually this morning, Monica, my wife, she goes to me, you know that shirt and those pants are looking a little tight. And what I wanted to say was, well, whose fault is that? Okay, she's taken to calling me Porky. That's my nickname now. Um, Yes, my self-esteem is very low. But uh, no, I am just love her. I hope you had a good time with your holiday. I had a great time, too. Um, I ate a lot, and I'm happy for that. I'm Pastor Dylan. For those of you who don't know me, I'm grateful to be able to share God's Word with you today. Next week, we're going to begin our Advent series, where we talk about the importance of God taking on flesh. Uh, But this week, I felt led to share on a particular topic that's been helpful to me in my walk with God. As some of you know, in addition to studying theology, I'm also training to be a therapist. And both are really well suited to pastoring, don't get me wrong, but I have ulterior motives. I'm really selfish because they both happen to help me a lot, too. Uh, They both help me understand God and myself more clearly. John Calvin, who's a famous church reformer, he's loved and he's hated by many, said this, Nearly all the wisdom we possess consists of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. God's very interested in helping you understand both him and helping you take a look within yourself. And so I want to I want to ask you a really clear question this morning. What are you meditating on? When your mind is unoccupied, what does it drift to? If you were honest, if you took a really clear look at yourself, what would your answer be? What are you meditating on in those unoccupied hours? When I tell you to look at the dialogue that's happening within me, I'm often surprised at how hopeless the story is that I'm telling myself. And the world isn't going to help you with this, by the way. Their ratings thrive on getting your attention on the bad economy, the bad environment, the bad government, the bad fill in the blank. Pick your poison. I find that Satan doesn't need to push most people into the pit. He simply hands them a shovel and they start doing his work for him. My prayer for you today is this. What you say to yourself matters, and I pray that the Spirit of God would dwell within you so that you would be free from the toxic patterns of thinking that have trapped you. My prayer is that God's Spirit would change your heart so that you meditate, like Paul says, on what's pure, what's good, what's lovely, what's honorable, what's of good repute, and that you would be liberated from the cycle of sin, anxiety, and depression that so easily entangles you. That's my prayer for you today, because you can be free. And I'm here to pronounce the good news that you are not powerless before your thoughts, but by the Spirit of God dwelling within you, you have the power to transform your thinking and your mind. God's given that to you. You're not a slave. You are a son and a daughter of God. And so I'm going to pray like a child this morning, and I pray that you would join me, that you would pray like children of God, not people who are under the thumb and the foot of sin, but people who have been liberated and get to call God Father, that you would pray with that kind of confidence with me as we begin today. Father, we thank you that we can approach your throne with boldness. God, that we are not enslaved to the things that formerly held us, that you've set us free by the blood of Jesus. And I pray that today, God, that you would lift burdens off people, that you would liberate people, that you would remove the things that have held them back, that you would uh, remove hindrances and help them to run the race that is set before them with endurance, with strength, with consistency, and with passion, God. I pray that you would liberate people today by the power of your cross and by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. My hope for you, as I prayed for each one of you this week, is from First Peter, where uh, Peter says that God will both renew, strengthen, confirm, and establish you. That's my prayer, that God would do those things for you today as you listen to these words. Because the story that you're telling yourself matters. How you're interpreting your life and the actions of other people, that matters. And the scriptures show us a great example of how we can choose to reframe our lives and find hope again. They show us how God gives us the power to rewrite the third act of our lives so that it's a story of hope. Your life doesn't have to be a tragedy. It can be a comedy. And in ancient Greece, by the way, you knew the difference between a comedy and a tragedy, not by if people were laughing or not. That's not what a comedy is. Oftentimes, joy doesn't come with laughter. You could tell the difference if people were clapping at the end. Because joy may come with tears, but joy can look beyond the pain and see beauty. And my prayer is that this scripture today will empower you by putting the pen back in your hand and let God help interpret your life because you'll be applauding at the end even if you're applauding through tears. That's what God can do in your life. So let's read Psalm 42 together. It's the psalm we're going to be in today and see how does the psalmist deal with their internal dialogue. How do they deal with their internal meditations, their ruminating thoughts? How do they combat those things? And you can find a little bit about that in Psalm chapter 42. You can turn there, or you can listen to me, whichever you choose. Psalm chapter 42. Here we go. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of the Jordan and the Hermon, and from Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can and apply the word to our hearts so that we would live just as Christ lives. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible is not a science textbook. It's not this magical book that you take to take away all your problems. It's not some self-help manual. But what I have found is that the Bible is well attuned to reality in the way most people underestimate It portrays the mystery of human nature and the universe in a way that the world takes some time to catch up to. Uh, Robert Jastrow, who wrote the book God and the Astronomers, he's a NASA scientist, said this, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, he's about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries." God knows a thing or two about reality after all he did design it and so it should come to no surprise to us that the scriptures paint an accurate portrait of what the internal dialogue in us humans is like we all have the tendency to amplify our problems we have a problem with our inner voice to the point where it becomes so large and looming that it tends to obscure the face of God Think of the Apostle Peter. He's walking on the the water with the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created the very water he walks on, and yet he can't help but see the giant waves heading towards him, and you and I are just the same. We fixate on the challenges in our lives. We have the tendency to elbow out what's good in our lives because we're locked into what's painful. And in that pain, we start to say things like, it'll never be like it was. It'll never get better. I'll always be this way. They're never gonna learn. They're never gonna, they're never gonna repent. I'm helpless. I'm broken. I'm hopeless. And sometimes that story starts to extend to God himself. And it sounds something like, where is God? Does he listen? Does he care? Listen to verses 1 and 2. It says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. God's compared to a land without water, a desert. The psalmist is saying that, God, I need you right now, like a deer needs water or it's going to die, but you're absent. A few weeks ago, I was in that desert in the Judean wilderness, and the deer he refers to here is actually called an ibex. Uh, They're more like mountain goats that leap around the desert cliffs, but most people in the English-speaking world have no idea what an ibex is, so translators kind of pick something that's close in our language. Deer also sounds a whole lot better than as the mountain goat pants for streams of water. I don't think anybody wants to be compared to a mountain goat. Um... Song of Solomon, he's singing to his wife and says, you're like a mountain goat. I don't know. I think Monica would hit me if I said that. (laughs) But the point is, that desert was really hot, even in October, okay? You can feel slowly pulling water out of you. When you're in 90 degree heat, in direct sunlight, with like 2% humidity, and your water runs out, you start to understand this psalm a little bit better. It's a desert. It's no joke. It's life-threatening. Most of this prayer, this hymn, is a desperate person talking to God, but it's an inner dialogue. It's him discussing also with himself his situation, and he occasionally talks to God. It's not mostly someone talking to God, it's mostly someone talking to themselves. It alternates between the two. Have you ever done that in prayer? You're talking to God, and one minute you're talking to yourself, and then the next minute you're talking to God, and then you're talking to yourself? Well, now you know it's biblical. It's biblical. We're constantly talking to ourselves, and what I hope that you learn from this psalm is that God wants, you to, wants to help you rewrite the story that you're telling yourself in those moments. You see, the, point, the whole point of Psalm 42 is very simple. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. The writer goes on in verses 2 and 3 and says this, "'When shall I come and appear before God?' My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The writer's troubles, they've now extended into his longing for the future. When will God resolve this? That's essentially what he's asking here. Appearing before God is a way of saying, I want God to set things right. It's the image of appearing before a judge in a courtroom to kind of argue your case. That's what he's saying. And he he says there's somebody there that's mocking him and saying, where is your God? Essentially, the person is saying, there is no judge. There is no justice. You're a fool for hoping for that. That's a temptation when we're in our present moment of pain. If we're not careful, it begins to infect our hope for a better future, it extends forward and grabs hold of our hopes and our dreams and it takes them captive suffering has a way of grabbing the keyboard and beginning to type a future that you never wanted or imagined sometimes god's silence is by design there's this obscure story in the old testament in 2nd chronicles chapter 32 where God leaves King Hezekiah to himself to show Hezekiah what's inside of him, what's in his heart. He leaves Hezekiah all by himself. He backs off. And by the way, this isn't to punish him. God calls King Hezekiah the most righteous king in Israel's history, even more righteous than David, and yet God backs away. Now, why would he do something like that? Because sometimes God's silence or absence isn't about punishing you it's about showing you something that's within yourself. He wanted to show Hezekiah that he was going to boast in front of the Babylonians. And in those painful moments, you and I need to pay special attention to what we're saying to ourselves and what comes out of us and how we're interpreting our situation and circumstance. When those around you begin to doubt God because of his silence, I hope that you're the kind of person who draws near to God, even with your questions. Because you see, both of the people in these two verses have a question. They're both asking a question to God. Faith doesn't remove the mystery in life. But one of these questions is trying to bring God near so we can talk to him. And the other question is trying to keep God at arm's length so that we don't have to face him. I hope that you're the kind of person who begins to ask God said it right. Perhaps our struggles are given as a gift by God, not to remove all of life's questions, but to help us ask the right ones. As Psalm 119, verse 76 says, Before I was afflicted, I forgot you, but now that I've been afflicted, I remember your law. Even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle, who planted churches all over Europe, who wrote half of the New Testament, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I am perplexed but not driven to despair. That's the kind of faith that the Bible aims to present you with, and it's a reasonable faith in God, because you know He's the only one who can help you. Some people interpret suffering by saying, where is God? But I pray that you would be the kind of person who interprets your hardships differently. I pray that you would write a different story and change your narrative. It's okay to ask God questions. Listen to Psalm 13 chapter 1 or verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But guess what? Those kinds of questions encourage you to draw near to God so that he can draw near to you. That's what James chapter 4 says. But don't allow your inner cynic to ask questions that have no answer. Don't listen to yourself talk to yourself. There's a type of question that wants to be answered, and there's a type of question that is used simply as a shield so that those who are bitter never have to face themselves. When you ask questions in your inner dialogue, which are you asking? What are you meditating on? What's your mind fixated on? Does your inner voice say, where is God? Or does your inner voice say, God, will you set this right? Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. I've found the best way to realign my inner dialogue is to to consider what God has done in my life and look back on how he's been good to me. Verse 4, he does this. Listen to him. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He calls to mind how he used to lead other people in worship. He reflects on the past in order to help him interpret the present. Okay? Reflection and prayers are powerful tools to change your thinking. They both help you call to mind things in the past that are contrary to your present distress. I encourage you, reflect on the faithfulness of God by praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. Thank God. Even start to praise God, like Pastor Paul taught us last week. Call to mind the faithfulness of God and speak to God in prayer about your past. Don't give up on that, but continue to pray. Continue to reflect. Be like the woman who won't give the unrighteous judge a rest, who keeps saying, give me justice, give me justice. There was a time when you were good, God. Be good again. That's the kind of faith that God wants to create in you. That's the kind of narrative he wants to create. I was writing a paper this week on the presence of the Holy Spirit in in psychotherapy, and as I was writing, I came across the work of a psychologist named Dr. Daniel Montgomery. He's a psychologist, a licensed psychologist in New Mexico, and his work examined brain scans of those who had recently been praying in the Spirit, or, or praying in tongues. And they measured the brainwave activity shortly after they were praying. And what they found was astounding. They found that a Pentecostal Christian who had been praying in the spirit had the same brainwave activity as a uh, a, a Buddhist monk who had been practicing Zen meditation for 20 years after only praying for 10 minutes. And the psychologists were completely astounded that somebody could achieve such a level in such a short amount of time. But you see, that's what prayer can begin to do for you. It can begin to change you and level you out. It can give peace in your heart when nothing outside of you changes in a snap of a finger, just like that. So when you feel yourself starting to despair, starting to reflect back with or reflect forward with rumination, I encourage you instead to begin to pray and ask God to show you how he's been faithful to you and other people in the past so that you can be accurate in this current moment. The past, how he's been there, is an important way to call God to mind. I pray that you would continue to call to mind God's goodness to you. And the Spirit, if you do that, will begin to transform your thinking as you reflect pray, and consider what God has has done, because He will give you peace in the middle of chaos. Psalm 143 verse 5 has become one of my favorite passages. It says this, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all that you've done, and I ponder the work of your hands. You have the power to change your inner fixation from your problem to the works of God. God has given you that power, so don't let Satan take one of your greatest tools out of your hands. The psalmist remembers he has the power to worship, sing, he even talks about eating with the people of God and festival. I don't care how bad your past has been, you can find some way to thank God and bless God because he sustained you. You're alive. You're here in the present moment. God has not forsaken you. Even if it's as simple as being alive, you can choose to ask, where is God? Where was God? Or you can say, God, will you set it right like you did before? You can choose to blame God with your ruminations, or you can call God to your side to help you by recounting how he's helped other people in the past. That is within your power to do. That divine perspective shift is within your grasp. You have the ability to simply define yourself as a victim or as somebody who has survived and who the Bible calls more than a conqueror now. That is within your ability to do. And that, by the way, is the foundation of cognitive, behavioral, and narrative therapies. You interpret your past. You empower yourself to change. God has given you that power. And in the Christian view, God has put his spirit within you so that you are not a victim. You are a son and daughter of God now. Fundamentally different. And so the psalmist sees the hand of God, even in his past, and though his present and his future would tell him otherwise, he doesn't let it affect him. Don't let your current moment in life define the whole thing. Instead, I pray that you would call to mind how God has been faithful to you even when everything else seems lost. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. The enemy in your own flesh are committed to telling you lies. They are committed to robbing the hope from your life, and ground zero for them, the primary battleground, is your mind. No human being is immune from this battle, by the way. When I was a bit younger, I was in Bible college, I was training to be a minister, I, was, I went to college with all this zeal, and this hope, and this fervor, and you know, I was a, I was a bit older than other people, I'd gone to college a bit before that. And uh, though I was a bit older, I knew that God called me, and I went off with all the zeal you see in young people. But it wasn't long before discouragement started to settle in. It didn't take long for that to happen, and I quickly realized I had no idea how to manage my own life, manage my own money, manage my own time. I was woefully unprepared for life, let alone ministry. And it's in those moments of disappointment and high expectations that Satan will begin to spin his most subtle lies because he never lies to you outright he will always sprinkle a bit of truth in with it here are the ones that Satan started to lob at me like flaming arrows what makes you think you're called to ministry if you can't even handle your own life all your peers come from great Christian backgrounds you're just some kid playing at being minister you're not qualified that's the message I got over and over. You're unqualified. You're too foolish to even be a Christian, let alone a minister. Why would God ever use you? Wouldn't you just bring more shame than honor to his name? And these things began to eat me alive. I began to just think about other careers, plan for other careers. At the end of that semester, I just planned to leave. I was, I was done. And as a last-ditch effort, I started to pray earnestly and how I wish I would have started there. Might I recommend you start with prayer instead of resorting to it? By the way, in January, we'll be having our Pray First month. If you need to start your day in prayer, if you need to start your decisions with prayer, then you need to start your year with prayer. I'll be here on certain Saturdays. I encourage you to be here in the morning. We'll send out more info as the time comes closer, but you, if you want to beat the lies in your mind, then you have to replace them with truth. If you're tired of where you are, then begin your year with us and pray first. I encourage you to be there. I lost my spot. <laughs> there we are. Okay, so if you want God to combat those lies, you got to replace them with the truth. One day I was too, I was so overwhelmed with sorrow that I couldn't even go to class I mean, I was just like, God's done with me. I'm not fit to be a minister. I mean, I was just distraught. I couldn't go to class. It was Pastor Paul's class, by the way. I think I've told this story before. I had to skip your class, Pastor Paul. Um, <laughs> but I, there was a prayer chapel on campus, and so I went there. It was, it was empty, and I just began to call out to God, and I prayed all of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth he will not slumber or sleep. Your keeper shadow never turns. And that's kind of what James quotes in the New Testament. He's referring to that psalm. I prayed the whole psalm with tears. And when I was done, the, uh, it was time for campus-wide chapel when every student came together every day. There was about three or 400 of us at the time. And we had a guest speaker that, name, that day whose name was uh, Christopher Cleveland. He's now a pastor in Minnesota. And uh, I can remember he was on stage And we were, it was just getting to the end of worship and he comes up and he just looks at me. I'm in about the fourth row. And he looks at the president at the time. He goes, I hope this is okay. And just walks off stage, walks up to me, puts a hand on my head and says, the enemy's been speaking lies into your mind. And he quotes the whole of Psalm 121 that I was just praying. He'd never met me. He didn't know me. He didn't know me from any other person in the crowd. You see, I think what God showed me that day is that God's word destroys the lie. God wanted me to know he's my keeper. He's not my executioner. He wasn't out to kill my calling. He wanted to make me a man worthy of my calling. I I was never qualified, but God was determined to qualify me. My mind was under siege, but God's truth and God's word and God's spirit broke that siege. You see, that's what it looks like to challenge your own thoughts. And you need help with that, by the way. If no one else is helping you, then listen to me. God is not looking to harm you, He's looking to help you. He knows everything about you, He knows you're not qualified to be where you are, He knows you're not as polished as you might present. But he doesn't care because his blood has covered that. And if you're willing to be honest, he's willing to be powerful. And he can transform the deepest pit into the highest mountain. He can change your narrative and your story in a way that you feel powerless to do. And it doesn't start with your circumstance changing. It starts with your internal dialogue changing. He's committed to making you into the person he wants you to be. He's not angry with you because you're not there yet. So don't let the enemy discourage you to the point of giving up. Challenge your thoughts with God's word and you will change the narrative. The psalmist talks himself out of the abyss like David encouraging himself to remind himself God has been faithful in the past. God will be faithful to me again. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. And we see the author do this in verses 5 and 6. says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's basically saying this, I didn't just praise God in the past, I know I'm going to praise him again in the future because he's always been there for me. That's essentially what he's saying here. I feel that some of you believe it's too late for you. You believe it's too far gone, that the best days are behind you, that God is done with you, that your debts are too many, that your sins are too many, and that you're just, you're too far off the reservation. But I am here to give you hope again in the name of Jesus, that you will not You will not die, but you will live. You will not be the tail, but you will be the head. You can be free from the things that have held you your whole life because the Spirit of God is here to assist you. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how far gone you feel. You don't know how glorious you'll be one day in the resurrection. You don't know what God yet will make of you. Even the apostles, the Bible doesn't know. It says in 1 John chapter 3 if today we are children of God, we don't even know what we're going to be in the future. God is able to give you hope again. There is never a lack of hope in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can change a hopeless narrative into a hopeful one. You can again praise him. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 reminds us, be renewed in your minds that you can accurately discern what God's will is. Examine those ruminations that pop up in your mind. Bring them to task. Compare them to God's word. Don't let them run away from you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says, Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take your faithless thoughts and your cynical thoughts and your arrogant thoughts, your hopeless thoughts, your lustful thoughts, your envious thoughts, your painful thoughts, and you have the power to take them captive by the Spirit of God. You can call them to account and say, You are not true. Let me remind remind you that you have everything you need to do that. Jesus has given you his spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, God has given you everything that you need to live a life of godliness in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? It means God's already given you everything you need. His spirit's in you. It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within you. And if that spirit dwells in Jesus, what can you not do? If it can raise a dead man, it certainly can help you with out-of-control thinking and a narrative that's spun away. And so the psalmist begins to ask himself the question, what reason do you have for being down in the dumps? And we could all start by listing a litany of reasons why we ought to be down in the dumps. Anybody want to go first? We could say our health, our finances, our own sins, our broken relationships, our families, our careers, our government, our world, our environment, our future. This life will supply you with no shortage of reasons to despair if that's what you're looking for. But instead of finding an escape hatch from the evils of this world, the Christian faith seeks instead to face them with a hope that can't be conquered by this world because it comes from outside of it. So what are you meditating on within your heart? What are you fixated on? What does your mind drift to when it's unoccupied? Listen, I'm not telling you to ignore your problems. Pretend they don't exist. Just start talking positively to yourself all the time. I'm not here as a health and wealth preacher. That won't work. It never does. That's called denial. I'm telling you that there's hope in God for you, that you can look your problems in the face and say, you may be stronger than me, but I will make it through you because I know God has my back in the past and I know he'll do it again in my future. This may be bigger than me, but it's not bigger than God. It's no wonder that we despair when we only consider what's in our own power to do. Why are you downcast within me, oh my soul? Perhaps the reason that you're downcast is because you've spent entirely too much time forecasting. And I have good news for you today. You're not a meteorologist, and even they're not that good at telling the future, okay? (laughs) Neither are you. Do you know how many times I counted myself down? How many times I've counted myself out? How many times I said I'm washed up. God certainly couldn't use a minister like me. Do you have any idea how many times I've written myself off? But God never has. Because God has always been for me. God always will be for me. He's not out to get me. He's out to help me change that narrative of despair into a narrative of faith. That's different. So stop looking at the clouds with dread and start looking at the one who controls them. Charles Spurgeon, who's uh, one of my favorite authors, he's a pastor in England from the 1800s. He preached to crowds of thousands every week and struggled deeply with depression. Some days he couldn't get out of bed, struggled deeply with health issues. And he once wrote this in a season of despair. "O oh, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy and break in blessing on your head. You see, you and I know well that from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, a battery of unwelcome thoughts assails us. We begin our days with worry and we lay our heads down with anxiety. We are professionals at telling ourselves what could go wrong in any given day. My wife and I call it catastrophizing. We're pros at it. We all have these thoughts. Here's the thing. Life is busy, and you don't have the time to challenge every thought on the spot. So write them down. I call it my panic journal. Just look at the psalm. Do you think the psalmist, while he's facing the person who's like, where is your God, is like, hold on, let me write a poem and figure it out. No, he didn't do that. He took some time. He went back home. He went over his ruminations, and thank God he did, because now we have one of these psalms. So I encourage you take time later examine your thoughts place them side by side with the scriptures and examine them is this true am i really hopeless is my sin unforgivable i do this sometimes and man it's so helpful for me i ask is this thought really true because when you name the thought it loses its power These thoughts lose their venom and their power when they're put under the operating table of God's word. The light makes them squirm and they run away. Do this with all your thoughts. Any thought that you feel pulls you away from God and into a place of despair, literally write them out and it will help you rewrite them later. You see, because lies are uninterested in having a dialogue with you. They only want to talk to you. They don't want you to speak back, but you must speak back. You have to resist them. James, the brother of Jesus, said something similar. He said this, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't that incredible? That, that the fallen angel, Lucifer, Satan, will flee from you if you simply have the courage to resist him. He doesn't have power over you. That's what James is saying. You are able to stand up to him and say, you could sift me like wheat if you wanted to, but God's spirit now dwells in me, and that means you have no power over me because the blood of Jesus covers me. So I challenge you, and he will flee. You have the ability to do that. You can say, I'll hope in God, and I know he'll give me a reason to praise him again because he's always been my salvation and my God. That's what you can say. That's what the psalmist is saying. The enemy can't stand before faith in Jesus. He can only stand before your silence. Answer him, and it'll be like a weapon. Ephesians 6 compares this book to a sword of God's Spirit. Jesus quotes this book when Satan is tempting him. Isaiah 54, 17, we love to quote it. No weapon formed against us will prosper or make progress, but we never quote the second half of that verse, and I wish we would. It says, because God promises that for those who believe in him, he will condemn every voice that stands against you. He will condemn the voices that condemn you. That is the promise you have. That's why nothing Satan does or your flesh does, can make progress against you, because God has promised to condemn it. And so if he condemns it, don't condemn yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Verses 8 and 9 and 11 are some of my favorite verses in the psalm. They say this, By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I'd be willing to bet that the psalmist's prayer in the night sounds a whole lot like yours. Why have you forgotten me? Why am I mourning? The psalmist again is overwhelmed, and his dialogue turns dark. He's cast back into what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. It seems bleak, hopeless, and lonely. Verse 5 seems like a triumph in the beginning, and by the end it seems like a disappointment, and here we are again. I'm sure you can relate. How many times have the same thoughts assailed you? How many times have the same temptations assaulted you? How many times have the same sins overwhelmed you? And how many nights have you prayed prayers like this one that make you feel like you're back at the beginning? I remember one of my professors saying to us in class one day, just because you're fighting the same battle again doesn't mean you didn't win it the first time. Wars are won by many battles, and so it is with our minds. We overcome not because we are powerful, but because we refuse to stay down. Joe, you're a boxer. Who's the guy who wins? The guy who gets up one more time. Proverbs 24, 17 says what? The righteous person falls seven times, but they rise once more. I'll call the worship team back at this time, and as they come, I want you to pay attention to this. A theme in this psalm, is the contrast between night and day. You see it in verses 3 and 8. The contrast of night and day, of of death and resurrection, of suffering and hope, are all throughout the Scriptures, but listen to me, night and day, suffering and death, or suffering and resurrection, those things are not opposites. They go hand in hand. You can't experience resurrection if you don't go through death. They're both part of this life. They ebb and flow, and God brings us through both of them to shape us into the kind of people he wants us to be. Listen, if you ever run into the health and wealth preacher that's like God wants you to have a Mercedes, wants you to have a, a $3 million one okay by the, or 401k by the time you're uh, 25, if, if that's the kind of preacher you're coming to, run. Because Jesus didn't circumvent death, he went through it. The psalmist doesn't avoid his suffering, he leans into it. And that's where he finds God, not in spite of it. You see, in Hebrews chapter 2, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says in verses 10 and 11, God perfected his own son through suffering, and so he will perfect you through suffering. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. That's Hebrews chapter 2. We pass through the cross to be resurrected. We pass through the night to see a new day. But Psalm 30 says joy comes in the morning. Don't let your inner voice trap you in an eternal night. This too will pass and you will come out the other side of this. Why? Is it because you're powerful? No. Is it because you have great faith? No. It is because God is your salvation and your God, and he will give you a reason to praise him once more. As Romans chapter 8 says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Even if you pass through death, new life waits on the other side. Resurrection and hope are waiting for you. At one point in verse 5, he says this. It's the end of verse 5. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. This is one of the few times, actually, in the whole psalm that he actually addresses God. That's the turning point. When you call God to mind, you can begin to answer back the thoughts that plague you. What can't God do in your life? I mean, I know it seems dark right now. I know the waves seem big. I know the relationships seem broken. I know the career might seem hopeless. The finances seem too little. But you have God on your side. The same God who turns night into day. The same God who says to the waves, cease. The same God who reconciles broken things all the time. And the same Lord who multiplied a few crumbs and fed 5,000. That is the God that you serve. So what can't God do for you? Do you have the faith to challenge your despair and say, No, I refuse to believe that God will leave me here? You see, in the Old Testament, Israel's greatest sin was not the things you and I think it would be in church today. It wasn't some sexual thing, it wasn't some money thing. Israel's greatest sin was that they said to Moses, you brought us out here to die, and they didn't take God's power into consideration. Their great sin was despair. It was failing to see that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you and I ask or think. It's the kind of internal narrative that says, God's forsaken me, he's left me alone. That, they clung to that instead of seeing what God was willing to do for them and so what are you meditating on in your heart have faith in god is your soul cast down remember him pray to him ask him seek him hope in him and if you do that i promise he will give you a reason to praise him again pray from your depths ask God to come to your aid ask him to come to you and he cannot help but be pleased by faith faith is what pleases him to look at God and say how could he fail me I believe in him I trust him I'll give myself to him I refuse to believe that I've come here to die God's delivered me to live don't listen to yourself talk to yourself Is your soul cast down? Verse five, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. How do you change your inner story, the inner narratives, the ruminations, the pain inside your soul? You remember God and you begin to say to yourself, Sienna, I will not be overcome by this. Josh, I will not be overcome by this. Claudia, I will not be overcome by this. But I will hope in God to deliver me because He's done it before and He can do it again. If God has never done it before for you, good. This is a great time to start hoping in Him. Because Jesus says to the Apostle Thomas, blessed are those who have never seen and yet believe. And if God has done it before in your life, then it's a great time to hope in him. Because if you do, he will be pleased. Don't sit down. And apathy and despair and hopelessness, but begin to say to yourself, I will not die here. I will have a reason to praise God again, and the same spirit that raised Jesus will raise you up and help you take thoughts captive to Christ. You can resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. It's time to be like David at Ziklag, and encourage yourself in the Lord, to say I will have faith in God. I'm not going to wait God wait for God to show up. I'm going to say, God, where are you? How long? I don't know, but I know that you will deliver me. When will that be, God? If that's the kind of question you need to ask, then ask it. But run to God with your questions and not away from him. You have the power. Nobody else to change what goes on within you because God's given you the power. And so I want you to do that today. I want you to call out to God for yourself. I can't do it. Now, I'm going to invite uh, pastors, elders, deacons, uh, Bible college professors, anybody who who wants to come up You can come up now, and I want you to line these altars. Maybe you're just like me. Does anybody here feel weak in faith? You're like, man, I wish I had what you had, man. Like, listen, remember I told you earlier, I almost quit. I almost am not standing here today because I let the enemy's lies drive me to the point where I didn't even have a plan to combat them. I just had a plan to quit. And it wasn't until somebody else prayed with me that I realized that the enemy had been lying to me. You might need help. God will not forsake you. God's here to help you. And so I encourage you, if you're a pastor, elder, deacon, get up here. Every, everybody else can stand. And as we worship, as you feel led, you might want to come pray with somebody. You're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I pray that God would deliver you. And I pray that he would help you. Stop listening to yourself and start speaking faith to yourself. Let's pray and let's worship.
0: jesus lord my last
1: prayer for everyone here whether they felt the need to pray at this altar pray in their seat pray in their mind or pray out loud god i just pray that you would transform their mind so that they could see what your will is that your will is not to destroy them but to keep them that your will is to bless them and not curse them that your will is to bind them up and not tear them down God, I pray that you would reveal your will to them. My wife and I pray this prayer every night, not liturgically, but we pray it as a sincere prayer over one another. And I pray it over you now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he fill you with his Holy Spirit. And may you know the comfort and strength of God this week. And I pray it in Jesus' name over you. Be blessed. Continue to worship. Continue to pray as long as you would like. Amen.
0: Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.